Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. And I'm going to take you on a journey of rich storytelling through our now 40-year rich history. And I invite you to sit back and listen to these eccentric stories. But don't forget to take a few notes along the way because these eccentric stories are going to have tricks and tips to get you to that line come summer. So sit back, enjoy, and then we'll see you at home. We'll see you in Leadville. Leadville family, I got a fun one today. Today's guest is none other than former Texas Longhorn snapper Nate Boyer. Nate is no stranger to hard work. Nate was a walk-on for the Texas Longhorns in 2010. Prior to that, Nate went from chasing a Hollywood career to a military one, where he served tours both in Iraq and Afghanistan as a Green Beret. But in my mind, all of this has prepared him for one thing, Leadville. I generally start these podcasts with the saying, you don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. But I can't quite do that with today's guest. Today's guest has yet to be found by Leadville, but I'm not so sure he understands the depth of that statement just yet. He will. I generally start with the saying, you don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. I can't quite do that today with Leadville's guest. Today's guest has been found by Leadville, but I'm not sure he understands the depth of that statement just yet. But he will. So, Nate, today I'd like to start by asking you a bit about who you are, because I think it's very important and very relatable to our Leadville family. So before we get into your football career, please take us through what you did after high school and where did you go with that? And, and did you find what you were searching for? Man, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I don't even know what I'm searching for and I don't know if I found it, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I graduated, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay, um, grew up a huge sports fan, uh, specifically uh, the San Francisco 49ers was like my, was my team, um, graduated high school, actually didn't play football growing up, uh, believe it or not, it was, I played baseball, I played basketball, I played some other things, and football was always my favorite sport, but for just a, various reasons, I never, never played, and kind of regretted that, which you know, we'll, we'll circle back on later. Um, and I, uh, I graduated high school. I moved down to San Diego uh, and went to firefighting school for a little bit. I thought maybe I wanted to be a firefighter. You know, I was 18 years old. And um, after about a semester and needed, needed to work and find some money, I, I started working on a fishing boat. And I kind of went all in on that for the better part of the year. Um, and I loved it. I mean, that was a big part of, I think, my growth at that age, just uh, sort of that blue collar experience, but also like making my own way, kind of just, you know, supporting myself completely. And, and you know, in some ways, I guess, kind of becoming a, an adult. Um, so I, uh, I did that. And then at 19, I decided to... Uh, pack my bags again and move up to Los Angeles. I was actually interested in the film and television world. I didn't know what exactly I would do uh, in that realm, but it just, I've seen some, uh, some films, some stories that just inspired me and I wanted to give that a shot maybe. So I move up to Los Angeles, work odd jobs once again, uh, you know, just being a 19, 20 year old kid or whatever. And then, uh, and then nine 11 happened. And, uh, you know, it affected everybody in various ways mm-hmm. uh, that everyone remem- remembers it anyway. But um, for me, you know, it really opened my eyes to the rest of the world, I think. And even uh, although I didn't join the military right away, I, I didn't I didn't sign up for a couple more years. I I started thinking a little more globally. and I started to I'd save my money up and I'd go backpacking somewhere, you know, in Central America or Europe or something like that. And. And eventually, my travels took me to uh, to the Darfur. It's a, a region a region in western Sudan that was, um, you know, uh, uh, 
hit with a with a genocide and mm-hmm. um a very complicated situation and i went and did relief work out there for a couple of months and it completely changed my life you know um i, I came back to the states and and knew i was going to join the military at that point and not just join the military i wanted to become a green beret um the, the army special forces motto is de oppresso libera which means to free the oppressed um there's a humanitarian side of the of that job in the, in the special forces that I think a lot of people don't quite understand. And, and that spoke to me, um, you know, as much as, and more, even more than, you know, the, the other element of it, which is, which is, you know, of course the adventure and the, um, the, the sense of purpose and all that in, in going overseas and, you know, fighting for those that can't fight for yourself. So, so that's, that, that's, that's, uh, before, all pre football, <laughs> but that was sort of the path I took. And I, you know, I found myself at, 24 years old, you know, as a Green Beret, gearing up to go overseas and just a completely different um, path than I thought I would take when I graduated high school. Well, yes. I mean, here you are looking, you know, moving to Hollywood for a career in film, and then all of a sudden you're doing relief work, you're, you're getting the invite from the Green Berets, you've now at this point had multiple tours in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. Um, what was it like? I mean, I don't want to get into too dark a time with that, but I mean, having to take tours like that, what was that really like? What got you through those missions day to day? There's so many of us that have that patriotism and that passion, but few of us act on it in the way you do, especially to take uh, an invitation from the Green Beret. So being it at such a level, what was it like getting through your day-to-day duties in those areas? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, first of all, the, where I was at my life, in my life, you know, uh, at that time, my early twenties, where a lot of my friends who had gone off to college were graduating, you know, and kind of starting their lives. And, you know, they had a very specific path, or at least it seemed that way. Um, and I just felt like I was sort of drifting. Um, and, and, uh, so that, like that feeling and state of mind coupled with, um, the opportunity to go, to go serve and, and, uh, and do something, be a part of something uh, greater than myself, you know? And I think all those things sort of came together in a perfect storm somewhat. I mean, it was, uh, um, a complicated time in my life. Obviously, it was a complicated. It is a complicated time in the world, but <laughs> it was, you know, very much so. Then, I think with us now going to Iraq and all these, you know, a lot of troops being deployed overseas, and I just felt like I wanted to to be a part of that and, and kind of earn um, or earn a lot of what I've been fortunate to have. Um, and I was very blessed to have it. A great family parents that really support me and like push me and mm-hmm. you know all those things that we kind of take for granted when we're younger so it was just uh it was like man i need to i felt like i needed to pay it back in some way <laughs> um and also like i said i just didn't have uh there wasn't like a carved out very specific path that made sense for me at the time so it was like well this this makes sense this feels right and and then going overseas and and obviously yeah it's it's it is very challenging there's 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 tough stuff you experience, you know, whether that's loss of life of of of, of friends and allies or um, just the grueling day to day life of a deployment, you know, where you're not sleeping much and you're 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 very you're you're working a lot, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's dangerous and and it's hot and it's you know uh, uh, the mission isn't always clear. There's a lot of challenges with that. And, um, beyond all that, like the brotherhood that you sort of create, uh, mm-hmm. the, the friendships, the closeness that comes out of that. And then also like you, you, you just sort of mentioned what got me through it. Like honestly, watching sports football was one of the things that really got me through because it was something to look forward to every weekend is like, you know, we've got the armed forces network on and we're watching, uh, the, you know, an NFL game or something and Monday night football's on it. Like at like 5 a.m. you know in Iraq because we're so far ahead it's, uh-huh. it's on like 5 a.m. Tuesday <laughs> and I get back from a mission late night and you're just uh 
you know, you stay up to, to watch the game and kind of decompress and, and, and then sleep a little bit, you know, in the, in the, in the morning before you got to get up and start training again and, and working with, you know, the, the Iraqi soldiers or whoever we you know, were working with. And so, so like, that was a big part of it for me. Some people play call of duty. Some people, you know, uh, everybody's read, everybody's got their, their uh-huh. hobbies, but, but the thing for me that really helped was, uh, football <laughs> <it or> <laughs> well and i can't thank you enough for your service for sure uh but to get to a lighter topic now let's get to football and another not so easy task for you as you stated earlier you didn't have uh, that football experience in high school you've returned from all these monumental life-changing tasks and you're still a young man uh, I've got a lot of family in Texas. I'm a big Texas football fan. And you went to walk on uh, to the Texas Longhorns. And uh, you did a lot with that accomplishment. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, uh, from, from a lot of that, a lot of that was during that trip overseas, that, that time in Iraq and, I was uh, 27, almost. Actually, I think I just turned 28 when I came back from Iraq. Okay. And I had about a year left on my contract and had to make a decision um, while I was overseas whether I was going to re-enlist or, um, you know, come off of active duty and and maybe go to college. Uh, I I finally felt that... um, I only felt like I was ready <laughs> in some ways for school, um, but also kind of I, I, I knew I wanted to go. I did. I did feel confident that this was uh, the, the right time in my life. But also, like if I don't go now, maybe I'll never go. You know, you never know what 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 what's going to be around the corner. Whether it's you know starting a family or or another opportunity career wise, and then all of a sudden it's like it's that moment has passed. So I just right. kind of jumped on it. And, uh, and I told myself too, like wherever I go to college, I'm just going to try out for the football team. Cause it's like a weird regret. I still had of not playing and I wanted to, I wanted to try. I just wanted to try. And if I didn't make it, I didn't make it like, you know, there's greater tragedies in the world. So I, uh, I chose Texas because I loved Austin. Um, it's a great town. It's a great university. Of Texas is a great school. But also one of my good friends, Brad Keys, who uh, unfortunately he passed away uh, in 2012, he was on the, the, the team with me, um, you know, another fellow Green Beret. And he was always encouraging me, pushing me to, to go big, whatever it was. And I remember having a conversation in Iraq with him about, you know, maybe going to a small college somewhere and trying out for the team. And he's like, no, 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 no. If you're going to go do this, you need to go do it big. Like you just, he's like, you, you can't sell yourself short. So I did, you know, I, I, uh, I decided to, to go there and, and, uh, that was kind of the only place I applied. Um, and it just, uh, it just made sense at, at that time in my life to, um, like I said, finally go, finally go to school, but, but also go somewhere that I knew I would enjoy that college experience um, being a veteran and also being an older student, um, University of Texas just made a lot of sense, even though I've never lived in Texas before. Um, and that was part of it, too. I was interested in that, um, you know, the the adventure aspect of that, something new, something different. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was the only place I applied. Luckily, I got in <laughs> and off I went. <laughs> Well, and I mean, that's just fascinating to me because I do know how tough Texas football is. I know it's a place where football is often started at birth. Can you talk a little bit to how intimidating it was to to walk through those doors as a walk-on? And did you have any idea like what position you were going to play or thought you were going to play at that time? Man, not, not really. I mean, I... I knew, um, I knew I had to train, you know, start training for it. So I was actually in Iraq and I started, I figured with my size, strong safety or a slot receiver, about the only thing that made sense. I mean, I wasn't super fast, you know, I was a decent, I was a good athlete, but not a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't very big, so that kind of narrowed things down for me. So I, I was over there 
you know, YouTubing videos like football <laughs> drills and, and kind of practicing them out in uh, out on the, in the desert there. We, I mean, we had a base, you know, a, a little compound there, but um, it was kind of, it was sort of bizarre because I remember some of the some of the gate guards and stuff that are locals. We, we had a lot of, it's just a 12 man team when you're in special forces is very small. So uh-huh. most of our outer security was, was local was Iraqis that worked for the Iraqi military that we hired. Um, so they're kind of watching me while they're also, you know, manning their posts. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> you know, he's out there like trying, trying to backpedal and, you know, run route, run wide receiver routes in the sand. And, um, and then we had a little weight room there that we put together and, it wasn't much, but it was enough to you know, get in there and, and kind of train. And I, I started doing some Olympic lifts and just different, yeah, different things I was researching on how to prepare. And, uh, and then I got to Texas and, you know, I tried out for the team. I, I think the reason I made it was I was in really good condition and they figured, all right, this guy, he's not going to quit. Um, but you put him on the scout team, he'll get run over a hundred times every day at practice, but he'll, he'll keep showing up. You know, we need guys like that, but also he's a little older. He's got that experience, maybe some leadership uh, elements to him that will be good for our locker room. I don't think anybody on that staff ever thought I would actually play. And uh, and but I believed it. I believe somehow I would find a way. And so my sophomore year. After after, you know, being on scout team my whole freshman year uh-huh. and, and having the opportunity to dress out for home games and lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag before every game, like really, really cool experience. Sure. You know, but I wanted to find a way to play. I started, uh, I started long snapping and, uh, I, I actually, I transitioned into the Texas national guard. So every summer I was sent back overseas. Um, I went to Afghanistan twice and a couple other times I went to, to Greece and Bulgaria, uh, on like peacekeeping missions with the special forces. But when I would go overseas, that first summer, you know, I brought a couple of footballs with me and just started just practicing long snapping, um, just trying to figure out how to do it. You know, I set up a little target and, and, uh, we'd, we'd just get the repetitions in and it started to kind of come together. Um, I, 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 uh, I started to get the hang of it after a couple of months of just doing it, you know, and, and same thing as before watching YouTube videos, you know, uh, getting advice from anybody I knew that had done it before and uh-huh. then just working on it. Like I didn't hire a coach or anything like that. I just, I just made myself snap and <laughs> I came, came back from after from overseas that year. And, um, Mac Brown was the head coach at the time and he let me try out for the position. And I ended up, uh, uh starting the season as the backup. I, you know, I went from like 10th on the depth chart to number two. And, and then after the first game, the the it was a freshman that they had recruited to come in to snap he, he had a couple of uh, not great snaps that game so i had an opportunity to start the next week um and then ended up starting for the next three years for you know for, i think 38 or 39 straight games um yeah so I, I became a long snapper something i didn't even know existed when i first got to the team that's incredible and I, you know i hope our leadville family's taking notes because you know here you are you know, forcing your way on the team. Um, you said yourself the coaches didn't even think you'd even start. Now you've started over 30-something games. College is over, and you gained some pro ball experience. Now, I'd love for you to talk about this, but first I'd love to add this is the part that I'm not as much of your fan on because if I'm not mistaken – um, you you left with a little bit of Seahawk experience and a recorded tackle against my beloved Broncos. Is that true? <laughs> um, it is true. I don't remember the tackle. I, I I'm credited with it. I think maybe at best I ran somebody out of bounds. So <laughs> I think I think that's why I got record. I got I got the tackle recorded, <clears throat> or it was a yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But either way. Um, I'll take it. But yeah, I, I, after I got done with Texas, uh, I graduated. I got to play in a senior all-star game down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And I got hit up from, uh, 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 this, uh, you know, the, well, I mean, I was down there, excuse me, when I was down there practicing for the game, 
for that senior all-star game. There was a bunch of scouts there and uh, from different NFL teams. And a few of them hit me up and said, Hey, you know, are you considering the NFL? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm 34 years old uh, and I'm tiny. Uh, I mean, I would love to, I just didn't think that was even going to be a possibility. I was, I was, you know, kind of a long shot to even play at Texas in college. For sure. The NFL. So, but they, they said, Hey, you know, you're a good snapper. You're in good shape. Like you should give it a go. You don't have to put on about 30 pounds, but you should go for it. <laughs> so I started eating like crazy and I gained about 30 pounds in four months. It wasn't all good weight. Um, <laughs> kind of doing the opposite of when you're training for, uh, you know, running an ultra. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I put the weight on and, and then the draft rolled around. Of course I didn't get drafted. I didn't expect that, but I got a, a call from the Seattle Seahawks and the uh, St. Louis Rams offering me uh, a, an undrafted free agent contract. And I went with Seattle because the same, same reason, you know, that Brad had kind of given me before with his long run. I had to go big. <laughs> they had been to back-to-back Super Bowls. And, you know, that team was Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, yeah. Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, Jimmy Graham. Like, it was Doug Baldwin. It, it was just a great team, you know. Michael Bennett. Gosh, I, I could go on forever. Earl Thomas. Um, <laughs> a lot of these guys will be Hall of Famers. And, and if not, they'll at least be, um, you know, remembered fondly by the Seahawks nation. And, and it was like... And they've been to back-to-back Super Bowls. Like I just can't, I can't turn down that challenge. And so, I went to see. I I got a call from Pete Carroll and uh, took that opportunity. Went up to Seattle. Was in uh, OTAs, which is organized team activities in off season, and then didn't get cut. Uh, got uh, didn't get cut yet. You know, got to play in a in a preseason game against the Denver Broncos, and that was Peyton Manning's last year. Uh, the Broncos actually went on to win the Super Bowl that year, which is pretty cool. Um, and I got to, yeah, I got to play in that game and I did great. I mean, the next week was kind of the biggest round of cuts, uh, with, from the team. And it was just my time. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy I was competing with was, you know, he was bigger than me. He was better than me. He was younger than me. Like it just, he, 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 des- he, he deserved to be the snapper and, and he'd been there for six years as well. Um, but just to get that opportunity to compete and, and give it a shot was incredible. And I'll never forget the game, you know, and the, and the, the Seahawks, the, the stadium, there was a sold out crowd for a preseason game. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, getting the opportunity once again to, to, to run out of the tunnel with the American flag and lead, lead the team out. And I got emotional on the sidelines during the anthem and, you know, I'm warming up before the game and like Peyton Manning standing right next to me. <laughs> throwing footballs it was just so surreal but uh uh what what a dream come true uh just to get that chance i I know how many people would kill for that opportunity and um and so i'm very grateful you know i i I often downplay it and i got a lot of friends who don't who who tell me to dude you played in the nfl like i'm (laughs) proud of that because i'm like well i was there for like five minutes and you know I, i i only played in the second half and i got cut next week they're like so what you you got to do it. You know, there's millions of people, millions of young men growing up their whole lives would love that shot. So uh, I am, I am very grateful to, to, you know, the Seahawks, the NFL, um, just to get that chance uh, was, was really cool. Well, yeah. I mean, you didn't play, you walk on to Texas football and you go that far. I'd say, I'd say that's more than incredible and, and very along the lines of what we try to teach here. Um, so then, you know, that kind of becomes a wrap. And then you actually kind of kick, you said it earlier with Long, long Shot, you kind of kick off your acting career with Madden NFL 18. What, what was that like? <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Like, that, you know, we actually filmed that. I think we filmed at the end of 2016. So it was pretty much right after... Okay. Um, it was pretty much right. Well, no, yeah, September 26th. So it was, so it was several months after uh, I was released from the Seahawks, and uh, I could move back to LA and and was interested in uh, uh, film and television again, like something that was interested. I was interested in at 19 years old. Now I'm 
you know, 35 years old and I, I'm circling back on that dream. And I did an internship to finish my master's degree um, with Peter Berg uh, at Film 44. So Peter Berg is a director that, you know, he he uh, he did Lone Survivor. He did Friday Night Lights, both the, the film and the series, and uh-huh. many other projects. Um, and so w- w- with a decent amount of military projects and football related projects, I was like, well, that's those are two worlds I understand this will be a good way to kind of learn that industry. And so I did that internship there, learned a lot about development and all that. And then sort of simultaneously, um, I got reached out to by EA sports and the Madden series. Cause they, they created the story mode um, yeah. about, about this young quarterback from Texas who played his freshman year was the quarterback there. And then his father passed away. His father was actually played by a uh, Mahershala Ali. Oh, great okay. actor. Yeah, Oscar winning actor. And his father passes away and he his, his dad was a veteran as well. So he joins the military and overseas, you know, they he had his, his commander overseas. Um, they wanted it to be somebody who had also played college football and maybe regretted not giving it his all before joining the military. And so they asked, you know, they I mean, I had to audition for the role, but I, I had a I had a leg up on it to, to play that character. <laughs> and so I'm playing this, uh, yeah, this captain overseas who's encouraging this kid to, you know, follow his dreams. If he wants to play football, like go play football. You know, we got plenty of young men and women that want to serve, serve, serve this country. And it's, you know, I appreciate your service, but like, if that's what you want to do, you need to chase it. So, so of course I link him up with Dan Marino, you know, because what else would I do? And uh, Dan Marino becomes his quarterback coach and he goes on to, you know, playing the NFL. So it was, it was really cool just to be a part of that story and kind of my first opportunity on screen, um, you know, playing a character and, and uh, yeah, it's to kind of open doors things as well. Well, yeah. So then you you continue that with bigger doors and bigger screens and find your way in both den of thieves and the Mayans. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Mayans uh, do you want to tell us about what, what those experiences were like and if you have anything similar in the works to that now? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Jenna, these are so, so after, after, after uh, the, the Madden game, and when that was then, the cool thing about that it was the GOAT edition, like with Tom Brady on the cover, and it was like this big, yeah, Madden 18 is a big game. Yeah. Um, but but I, I got to... I got an opportunity to play a small role in this movie called 12 strong. Um, it's about the, you know, the first green berets that went into Afghanistan after nine 11. And, uh, I just had a, you know, a couple of small scenes in it, but I was, the scenes were with like Chris Hemsworth and Michael Shannon and Michael Pena, like some really top level actors, which was, which was awesome. And also, uh, nerve wracking. <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, so I did that. And then, after that, I auditioned, yeah, for this movie called Den of Thieves, um, directed by Christian Gudegast and starring Gerard Butler. And, and uh, you know, they were looking for authenticity. They wanted a guy who was like a Secret Service agent uh, at the Federal Reserve kind of protecting, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, I, I auditioned for it. I got the role. They actually ended up kind of building the role up a little bit bigger than originally written, which was cool. So I had a decent amount of dialogue and, um, and it was, it was, it was really, it was really fun. It was a cool experience. Like I said, that, that director Christian was, uh, he's just a great guy and he's still a really good friend. Um, and, uh, he's at, you know, he's had me consult on a couple other projects of his projects of his just with the script and kind of give ideas and whatnot. So I did that. And then, yeah, maybe a year after that, I uh, was on, uh, this is us uh, for just one episode, but then, uh, I had four episodes. Uh, recurring role on Mayans, um, you know, which is a big FX series. It's a Sons of Anarchy spinoff, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was a, that was a really cool experience. I, I play like a mercenary. He's kind of a bad guy going after the uh, these these bikers, and yeah, it was it was it was really 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 fun. And you know, the doors just kind of kept opening a bit, and and uh, it just recently, I'm, I'm in a couple episodes of Terminal List that's on. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Okay. Um, but uh, the bigger thing here was, you know, I, I uh, a little over a year ago, I directed my first movie. 
and we're set to release here the week of 9-11, actually, uh, this year. And uh, it's about the genesis of a charity that I co-founded with Jay Glazer, who's a Fox, uh, a Fox NFL Sunday analyst um, and like an insider. Uh, Jay and I co-founded this charity called MVP, which stands for Merging Vets and Players. And we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose and identity when the uniform comes out. So mid-pandemic, alongside a lot of other veterans and former athletes, many of them NFL players, uh, we made this movie. And we made it for, like, nothing, you know, budget-wise. But we just figured it out and... It was just something to do in, uh, in you know, honestly, in L.A., which felt like such a ghost town. Um, and we, we did it through the Screen Actors Guild and, you know, followed all the COVID protocols, which was challenging in its own right. Yeah. But all the veterans portrayed on screen are played by actual vets. Um, and then Tony Gonzalez and Michael Strahan and Howie Long and, um, and Jay Glazer, Randy Couture from the UFC world. They all play themselves in the film or a version of themselves. And, um, and it's, it, we sold it. Like it's, you know, it's going to be released here in September. Like we just we made it happen. Um, it was a really, really challenging experience. This was, I mean, back in October, 2020, you know, kind of the, uh-huh. like the height of the pandemic though. But, yeah. um, but it was, it was, it was such a cool experience and, and film rise uh, is the company that bought it and, we're working with them now on this release and we're going to do like a limited theatrical release and then it'll go to streaming and you know, there'll, there'll be a way to, for everyone to see it. We actually should have a trailer very soon uh, to be able to, to share with you as well. So pretty exciting stuff. Uh, and that, that's the big one. From, I loved being behind the camera more than anything. And, um, you know, just creating something with a group of people that uh, are passionate about a story. Well, yeah, that congratulations. That is huge. Um, I hope everybody's taking notes on that. How exciting. Uh, well, and it's, you know, it's, it's very easy to see how many times you've reinvented yourself that you've got a success that, that seems to be a pattern in your life at this point. And uh, that gets us more to why we're here today <laughs> and why we're here today is to talk a little bit about Leadville also. So, um, you know, you've, you've found tremendous success in all these areas. And now here you are heeding the call to take on the Leadville Trail 100 foot race. I've got to imagine there's a story there. We, that's what we want to hear. Yeah, you know, I aside from the military, where we obviously run quite a bit, especially in the special forces, a lot of times yeah. it's with a big, <laughs> big rucksack on the back, you know, in combat boots, so it's a little bit different. But, uh, you know, I just, I love to challenge myself. I love to push myself. I love to um, mm. kind of put myself out there and experience things uh, that maybe I'm not even fully sure I can do you know, or complete. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when you, when you have like a, a big goal like that, like Leadville 100, I mean, that's, that's Mount Rushmore, you know, um, of, of these type of races of ultra marathons. And, um, obviously you're up at altitude and it's a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred <laughs> miles, no matter where you are. And I've never done that a distance, even really close to that at this point. You know, I've done, uh, I've run, uh, I've run one official marathon back in February and then I ran a, a 50 K uh, in Griffith Park in the middle of LA, which wasn't up at altitude, but there was a lot of elevation change throughout that race. And it was very challenging, you know, yeah. um, but that's 31.1 miles. That's not 100 miles. And, um, and so since then I've just continued the training, uh, to prepare for this. And, um, you know, every week kind of putting on more miles and then when I start to get banged up or my knee starts hurting or something, I'll kind of back off and just trying to find that, that fine line and that edge where I can, uh, you know, keep training and, and preparing myself because it's, you know, it's coming up here soon. Uh, but also like taking care of myself and not not overtraining, which is something I've done my whole life and for from time to time. Um, but I mean, the most appealing part of it is just um, the challenge of it. Something about running, especially trail running, for me, you know, I don't. 
I, I kind of just unplug and it's almost like my meditation. You know, some people meditate, some people do things like yoga and, and stuff like that. And, and, and I think all that stuff's amazing and suitable. <laughs> but for me, like I kind of find my Zen when I'm out of breath, um, muscles are fatigued and, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little sunburn maybe <laughs> kind of just, uh, but like not stopping, just, keep going you know keep taking the next step pushing myself running as much as i can uh on that trail you know and when you hit those tough parts and you got to just walk up up a hill or something um you know it's it's all like i think it's like like anything in life it's just the appeal to me is um is is this something that that i'm even capable of i don't know but but going for it and just making that effort uh, is, is very inspiring uh, when, when you see people do that, you know, when you see people just kind of put themselves out there and not worry too much about the result, um, just focus on uh, the the attempt, you know, and mm-hmm. um, the the uh, the amount of work and effort and sacrifice that goes into preparing for something like that uh, is, is pretty inspiring. And so I just uh, I wanted to be a part of it. Well, we love that, and we can't wait to have you come out here to be a part of it here in Leadville. Uh, also very interested, what made you choose 100 miles as the distance? And uh, probably more importantly to me and our listeners, why Leadville? I think just uh, that number, 100. I mean, that sounds crazy. <laughs> to run a hundred miles driving a hundred miles is crazy you know? <laughs> yes it's it long, is it's a long drive and like you're flying in that car and you think how long it takes to you know it takes the better part of you know, at least an hour and a half if you're on an empty highway with no traffic to drive a hundred miles you know i mean you're flying um but to run that in the mountains at altitude you know up up uh, upwards of you know, over 12,000 feet, the air thinner. Um, I, I've, I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro three times in my life, and I've climbed Mount Whitney once. Okay. And those are challenging, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and no doubt you're off. But I don't think it, I think they kind of pale in comparison to running 100 miles, especially with the, the limit you have, you know. I mean, you've got to do it under 30 hours or, can't do it and it's uh so it's not like you can just sort of take a walk in the park and rest when you want and uh you know just take your time it, it, there's a there's a time limit there's a stress there and, and and that harkens back to my days in the special forces and a lot of the training that we did a lot of times you didn't know what the time uh constraints were they didn't tell you they you know you'd, you'd run a a land navigation course. Like I said, you've got a 60 pound rucksack on and you're adding the food and water and you're carrying a rifle and, um, you're in camouflage and, and combat boots. <laughs> but, uh, and you're in the, you know, we were in the mountains of, of various areas out in, in, in North Carolina or you know, even in the Appalachians for one of the courses I went through and, and, uh, uh, each land nav, you know, uh, a coordinate, great coordinate you have to find. Sometimes they're, three miles apart or sometimes they're 15 miles apart you don't really know until you get there and then you've got to get all these checkpoints four or five points that you got to find throughout the day or the night um, with just a compass and a map Mm -hmm. and you don't you don't know what the time or you know you don't know what the maximum time allotted is so you're going as fast as you can you know you're running when you can Uh um and, and, and you're just not you're not resting. I mean, you're drinking water and eating, maybe getting a little something in your belly on the go. Um, but that's limited too. You know, sometimes you're only allowed to have one MRE a day. Like they stress you uh, and, and de-stress you, I guess, distress yeah. I should say, <laughs> uh, as much as they can to see if you can take it, you know, and see what you're capable of and see if you're going to keep going and if you're going to just get there as fast as you possibly can. And uh, so it reminds me of that Although you do know, um, you do know what your ultimate time limit is to make the, uh, the to complete Leadville. Uh, it's also like, yeah, just the unknown of, 
I, I'm never going to run that far until race day. I'm not going to train up and do a hundred miles before that. Right. Um, you know, I'm hoping to get one in here soon of about 50 miles or so. Uh, but, uh, so far the farthest I've run is, you know, 31.1, uh, on that 50 K and I, I did another day recently, a few weeks ago that I ran and I ran 30 miles again out in, uh, out in the Santa Monica mountains in Malibu. So, um, and that alone is like such an achievement, very challenging, you know. Oh, um, that's great country to be training in. <laughs> it is. It's gorgeous. I mean, yeah. And then I just got, I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my folks live out here in Reno. So just uh, yesterday I got to do uh, about a 16, 17 mile trail run on the, you know, up in the Tahoe Rim Trail where you can, you know, you're looking at the, you're looking at Lake Tahoe, <laughs> you know, on this ridge line that you're running. It's just incredible so that's one of the other benefits of a race like this is training for it is like incredible i mean you get to see parts of the world in a different way that you never kind of stop and take in and i guess you're not stopping you're moving but experiencing that like i i just wouldn't otherwise i i uh i've never really gotten into that uh, that sort of that trekking stuff. I thought maybe for a while that the military kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> camping, camping and long range movements, but <laughs> you know, I'm finding it, I'm finding joy in it now. And, um, and like an escape from, you know, the chaos in the world and yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, even in America, a lot of the division we face and a lot of the, the tough times, uh, from a, you know, from just a social standpoint that, that we, that we kind of experience right now. Like I like to get out there on the trail by myself and just have that time with nature and mother earth and kind of, you know, separate myself from, from anything else. And, and it's uh, it really, it really is rewarding. Um, you know, just being able to train for something like this. Absolutely. It's now August, uh, and you're getting ready. You've had a couple caveats come up, and you'll be working on a project this August for Discovery Channel. But next August, we're hoping to get you in Leadville. How has your training been going at this point? Um, you've been using running as your escape mentally. Uh, have you been staying injury-free also, and are you hitting your running targets? Yeah, uh, you know, I've been staying relatively injury-free. I'd say injury-free but not pain-free. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I have been. I have been uh, consistently um, putting in the miles. I kind of tapered it down uh, recently after the uh, discovery that I wasn't going to be able to make it this year. Um, but I'm still running pretty consistently, mostly trails. So, you know, the beauty of Los Angeles area is there are um, a lot of a lot of good trails to, to run on and some hills and, and even mountains um, to get up there. You're not in the altitude or anything like that, but it can be pretty serene. And as you mentioned, it's a great escape. Uh, but but yeah, I have been I have been putting the miles in um, most recent. I put about a 30 miler in uh, just a, just a, a few weeks ago. And then what I try to do on the weekend is at least hit double digits, if not, you know, in the high teens um, on one of the runs. And, and uh, you know, I know that's nothing like 100. I've never done 100, so I can't say I can compare that to anything. But uh, but I'm certainly I'm certainly putting putting the miles in when I can. Well, it certainly sounds like a solid plan of attack. It sounds very similar to what I was doing when I first took on the Leadville Trail 100 and I think you're very smart for dialing it back a little bit, uh, knowing that it won't be this year, it'll be next year. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is carry that excitement too often too early, and that's usually where they end up injured or in more pain. <laughs> um, let's skip to something equally important, though. Uh, what are you doing for nutritions on your run uh, is this something that you're addressing being new to these challenges? What do you think you're going to do on race day? Yeah, that's certainly a new thing for me. I mean, you know, I, I ran them when I ran that 50 K back in March, of course they had checkpoints, you know, nutrition, uh, uh, along the trail and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can refill your refill water and 
and any other kind of hydration. Um, but when you're training, you don't have that luxury. And what I was doing when I, you know, when I was just kind of getting back out there, upping the miles, um, and, and, and was staying under 20, I wasn't really doing anything nutrition wise. I was, um, I was running with a hydration vest. So I had my water, mm-hmm. but I wasn't eating anything and my body could handle it because it was, you know, relatively short distance, um, as compared to a hundred. But once I got up there, you know, over 20, and especially when I did that 30 miler recently, uh, I made sure it packed, you know, some goose with me and an RX bar and, um, you know, stuff like that. So I had something. And even with that, I still was so hungry. So it was very uh, surprising to me how the difference between, say, running 17 miles versus running 30, where I felt with the 17 miles, as long as I ate appropriately leading up to it and then was prepared to eat right after it, I didn't feel a really a loss of energy um, or a same kind of fatigue. But in running that 30, even with bringing some nutrition, I still felt quite depleted. So it only makes me think that as those miles tick up and I get into, you know, doing 40 and 50 and whatever, it's just like, it's an exponential amount of nutrition you need to be consuming and, and uh, tracking or something that I wasn't prepared for. So that's just definitely uh, a learning curve there and something that I'll need to continue to kind of practice and monitor because I think part of it's from the military background, this mindset of just trying to suck it up and oh, you're a little hungry, but you're fine. Uh, it's going to catch up with you <laughs> when you're doing uh, a large, you know, these expansive distances where you're, you're running, you know, potentially into uh, uh, over a 24 hour period, even, or, or even over a, a six hour period um, where it's just, it's very different than, you know, that shorter burst. And I, I feel like if I'm doing something under, you know, three hours or so, like I, I have no issue. I don't need to eat, but it just, it changes so quickly. Uh, so dramatically once uh, the miles add on. So that's something that I'm, I'm definitely learning. And I kind of learned the hard way from that uh, 30 mile train up. <laughs> well, I asked that cause I think, you know, I kind of have your same mentality too. And I'm always fascinated, but I, like you, I always find myself good on shorter stuff. And then when I try to go out for something long, I'm just already in a deficit and, and chasing those calories. So I'm always interested, especially in somebody with like you with such a, a military or that really driven football background uh, to hear what your strategy is. And it sounds like you're ahead of the game. Now, along those same lines, crew and pacers, uh, did you use any for that uh, 30-miler in March? And uh, what is your plan for Leadville in August? Well, I didn't have – no, I didn't have a crew or pacers, and no one really did for that one out there uh, that I was aware of. Um, it was in it was in Griffith Park, actually, out here in L.A. Oh. So I'd say every – at the most, every six miles – they did have probably more than that. What am I saying? Probably every three miles, to be honest. They had some type of a checkpoint, um, whether it was just a water point or maybe there was some added nutrition and whatnot. Um, so I made sure and um, was, you know, I was able to eat at that time and I was I was running it fast enough that uh, I was being competitive. I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't up there with the top two uh, uh, individuals who, who were, you know, definitely in a different class than the rest of our, us runners. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, you know, I was, I was, there was other people, um, that was, that were near me on the course and the way that it was traversing back and forth quite a bit and up and down the mountains, you were passing other runners or, you know, coming into contact with other runners coming down the same trail you just went up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so with that, you kind of were able to gauge, how you were doing. It's nice to be around other people. So, uh, the only time I've experienced sort of kind of being out on your own and, and where it might be nice to have a pacer would be on some of these other runs on my, on my own. But, but I don't know. I mean, I definitely absolutely see the value in it, especially if you have a very hard goal that you're trying to reach. What is the, and what remind me, what is the, what is the mile point at Leadville that you're allowed to have a pacer? 
Well, so and we've had a change lately. You used to be allowed to at 50, and now you're allowed to at 60. Um, the Forest Service wanted us to loosen up uh, the numbers of people we had on Hope Pass, and so we kind of did that by getting rid of the pacers during the COVID year and finding out it worked a lot better for athletes. So that will be 60 miles in that you can have a pacer. Got you. Yeah. So that, so that, um, that's something I haven't explored too much because I've never done it, but also I don't know what I don't know. And for the fact sure. That, you know, going to be running a lot further. I will absolutely have a team, <clears throat> a team out there actually. My my parents and a good friend of mine, Kirsty uh, Ennis, who is a uh, she's a single leg amputee. She was in the Marine Corps, um, and this girl is, I believe, she's uh, climbed six of the seven summits around the world, uh, the, the the highest summits, and and, and uh, summited six of the seven, I should say. And I think uh, I think she had an issue with uh, when she was doing Everest with weather or whatnot. But she mm-hmm. is uh, she lives out in. Uh, um, the Glenwood Springs area and, you know, she had offered to also come and, uh, you know, be, be part of the crew. And, and, uh, uh, so I think that that's awesome. I mean, I, I can only imagine when you're coming into these checkpoints and you're to the point where you need, uh, so maybe some medical care on your, on your feet and, or someone to help, you know, refill your water and making sure they're keeping eyes on you and making sure you're eating and doing all those things because, uh, you know, as, as I experienced some in the military and a lot of the training where we've done some long range stuff, been out there for a long time, like you're just not thinking clear when, you know, you're sleep deprived and you're hungry and you're fatigued. And and I can only imagine at Leadville with the altitude included, uh, it's just it's really important to have a strong team of people around you that you trust. Um, and then, yeah, the pacer element is something that I haven't uh, considered yet, but um, that may make a ton of sense uh, come next year. Well, and yes, having your parents as crews uh, is a perfect strategy. There's nothing that'll lift you up like seeing your mom. Um, The other thing, too, for sure, having somebody that's done six of the seven summits, that's definitely a good person that's going to make those decisions when you're not thinking clear, for sure. So I'd say your, your strategy there is more than spot on. Now, in terms of doing this sort of stuff, uh, you you definitely have a track record of taking big things on. Is this a bucket list item for you, or is this a stepping stone to something else? What is this for you? Um, that's a great question. I it's definitely a bucket list item. Like it's something that I mean, I love a challenge. And I, I remember the first time I heard about ultra marathon running, I was actually in Afghanistan. And one of my commanders was telling me about it. And I guess I knew, or I assumed that people do something like that, but I didn't know um, that it was uh, becoming, you know, quite popular at the time. This is kind of early, earlier 2000s. But also, this guy was like six foot six and, and you know, not a small guy. And he hit <laughs> 100. And I was just like, shocked because i just had in my mind well the only people that do this are probably marathon runners you right. know that weigh weigh about 120 pounds or something and uh it's not the case of course there are those people too i'm sure but all shapes and sizes um and 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 honestly like athletic levels because so much of it is um, just that, that the grit the prep the preparation <clears throat> excuse me and uh you know, there's just so much more to it. It's very different. You look at the speed that these people are running. You know, they're not – no one's sprinting out of the gates. Like, it's a very, a very different type of, of running and very different type of race um, than anything, even other great distances like a marathon. It's com- still completely different. And I just thought that was uh, – you know, that was just so interesting because it was something I just I, I just wasn't aware of. And so from that time, I was like, man, that'd be that'd be something I feel like I could do and I would like to do. I do love like when I run on my own, even before I even had dreams of, of running a, an ultra when I run, I, I don't, I, I like to disconnect, you know, I, I, I leave my phone. I don't have the headphones in. I don't do anything like that. I like to just be out there with nature and kind of listening to the sounds of that. Um, 
all that is appealing to me and for doing <laughs> to do that for a whole day or even more um is even more appealing just to just to very very much kind of go back to our in a sense in a way anyway um our roots as human beings and you know how we may have traveled thousands of years ago um you know and and uh when we just lived in a very different times we didn't have the resources and accessibility like we do now i do now i just think that that it's really cool to connect with the world in that way uh as a human being so that's that's it i, I don't know where it's going to lead it, it could be a stepping stone as you said and maybe this will open a door to just so much more and more of this or you know, you know there's a possibility that uh, you know uh um once i do leadville i'll be like man i'll never run this again <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh I, I have no idea i mean i know if i if for whatever reason i'm not able to complete it not able to finish uh, I know myself and I will be back to do it. <laughs> There's yep. no way I'll let that go. Uh, uh, yeah. Undone. So yeah, the, I, I, I don't know though. I mean, that's just, it is a very, it's still very new to me and, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling I, I, I may become addicted, though. <laughs> well, yeah, and I love that primal description. Um, and, and yes, most people that do come, I'd say the majority of them are, are addicted for sure. So buckle up. <laughs> now, yeah, I was thinking, you know, I bet there's some of them that, especially after they run their first one. The first thing that comes out of their mouth when they finish is, "I am never doing that again." And then they're back there. They're back there next year. So. Well, yeah, the Feeling the brain common. forgets pain first, so that's why we have so many re repeat offenders out here. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now, what have you heard about Leadville, and what scares you most about the challenge? Well, everybody keeps mentioning Hope's Pass, of course. Um. So that alone seems like a challenge. Also, not to mention the fact that once you go over Pope's Pass twice and you start the home stretch, you still have 40 more miles to go. <laughs> like that's, that's insane. So I think that, but probably more than that would be the altitude. Um, you know, I've, I've climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro three times. Okay. I've done some other mountains and done some other trekking up at elevation and um it's hard and you always forget it's not one of these things that you know you, you just come back next year it's like well i did it last year so my body is now adapted or acclimated like you have to kind of do that whole acclimation process again <laughs> yeah um and it's challenging and i know that that you know it can really can really affect you uh on multiple levels and um uh, i mean i get the headaches every time i do kilimanjaro and uh, and I've noticed how tired my body can be. And, and that's very different. That's like, we're doing, you know, I mean, it's at a higher elevation, but we're doing essentially 50 miles over a five day period. So completely different than doing a hundred miles in a one day period. So like, you know, those are the things, those are the challenges that stick out to me as like concerning beyond the fact that let, you know, on its own, you're already doing a hundred mile race. The, the fact that there's, you know, the hopes pass and just the altitude elements. Um, add a, it's an added challenge that, that not every race course has. Well, for sure. I think, though, you're giving it the respect it deserves. And I think your your plan is real solid. And I can't wait to see what happens. Nate, I can't thank you enough. This has been wonderful. Uh, I realize how busy you are and taking this time with me. We can't wait to see you in August of 2023. And boy, do I think we're going to have a great conversation after that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Especially if it's right after that. <laughs> It'll be pretty close. We'll get you when you're fresh. I love it. Thank Very you. Cool. Well, I, uh, thanks. Thank you so much, brother. I Thank really you. you guys having me join you. Absolutely. Well, Leadville family, there you have it, Nate Boyer. Now, Nate's a very busy man. In fact, before we even started this podcast, I knew that we'd have to break it into two parts due to his scheduling. He has not only made his way through a military career, a football career, gotten his education, but he did make it onto that big screen and actually 
We're sad to announce he's not going to make it to the Leadville Trail 100 in tw- run in 2022. He is going to make it to the Leadville Trail 100 run in 2023. Now, I've been keeping up with Nate, and he has been training hard, and he's missing only because of a very special Discovery TV project. That's all I can say at this time, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. We hope Nate's digging deep experiences have given you some advice, not only with your training, but in your work lives or personal lives as well. And we can't wait to have Nate back on as a guest once he gets that run in his rearview mirror and we can talk to him as a finisher after he's been introduced properly to Leadville. Until then, please don't forget to give us a like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. And we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville.